reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 35. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray together that God would speak to us from his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the scriptures and thank you that they're a highway into your presence. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to help me as I speak, to help all of us to understand and to have a desire to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In recent weeks, we've been looking at some of the invitations that Jesus gives, and there are many. So we've already considered his invitation to those who are weary to come to him for rest. We've looked at his invitation to the lost to be led by him through life. We've looked at his invitation to the rich to follow him and to those who are spiritually parched to come to him 
today we slightly shift the focus. And instead of looking at the invitations, we look at what Jesus says we're to do with his invitations. How do you handle an invitation that comes from Jesus? Now, I don't know what you're like at handling invitations. You might be one of those who gives a prompt response and a quick reply. But then again, you might not. Some invitations come our way and we don't want to respond to them. And they're not worthy of a response. So I think there are lots of invitations that come to me through the television. Invitations to buy this, that, and the other goods. And I think, I'm not giving up the time of day. Invitations to go to this, that, or the other event. Some invitations come to you via WhatsApp and the bulletin from St. Michael's. And I know you respond to those instantly because they're incredibly important. But what about an invitation that comes from an itinerant preacher from Galilee who looks like an unemployed carpenter. How would you handle that? The reading this morning was quite long, wasn't it? But it actually picks up the stories that Luke has been telling in chapter 14. And if you're able to get hold of a Bible, uh, later you might just look at the whole chapter. It actually begins with an invitation. But it's an invitation to Jesus and it's an invitation from a, a prominent leader who invites Jesus, Jesus over the doorstep. And one of the big takeaways from what we're looking at today is be careful when you invite Jesus near you. Because things can go in a very unpredictable direction. As I've mulled over this chapter of scripture, I've come to think that frankly, if it was just a fragment of scripture given to us, and this was the fragment, if this was the only thing that we knew about Jesus, I think we'd think about him that he was a harsh person, that he was an abrasive character to have around, he was borderline rude, he was very in your face, and not at all easy company. Now, perhaps a clue lies in the fact that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and he knows that his days on earth are limited. He shocked the disciples by going ahead of them and saying, this is where we're going and the Son of Man will be spat upon, tortured, crucified, and three days later he'll rise again. And the gloves have come off towards Jesus. The animosity, the hatred, is very visible now. And at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 14, we're told that people were watching Jesus carefully. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he goes on the offensive in more ways than one. And you didn't have this bit read to you, but I'm just going to fill in the gaps. The first thing he did when he's invited to the home of this leader for supper is he criticizes the seating plan. Now, have any of you ever done that when you've been invited out for a meal? Think, said, I don't think much of the way you've arranged the seating here. Well, Jesus does just that. 
And he tells those who are hosting, he says, when someone invites you to a feast, don't take the place of honor. And his sayings end, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And if that's not in your face enough, the next thing that Jesus does is to critique the guest list. He says, when you have people around, don't just invite your friends and relatives and the rich neighbors, but instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, who won't pay you back with their hospitality, but God will at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, what do you do when someone behaves like that in your house? Well, I know what most of us do. You can feel uncomfortable and you start fidgeting and someone is going to try and bring calm to the situation. And someone does. And one of the guests blurts this out. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And I think that was a sort of let's pour oil on troubled water sort of statement. And he's thinking about the feast that is described in Isaiah 25 when God sits down at a huge banquet with all his faithful followers and the Jewish people look forward to such a time and the implication of him saying this one imagines is that the speaker felt very confident he would be one of those sitting at the table of a great banquet but by the end of a long story that you have read and Jesus tells I'm not sure that that person was so sure of his place at the table so as we look at this first parable, I have a question for you to consider in your mind. Is Jesus more comforting than challenging? Or is he more challenging than comforting? Let's, let's just reflect on this first story. And it, it's the story or the parable of the invitations. Or if you want, you could call it the story or the parable of the guests that didn't show up. And we need to know something about the way invitations worked in Jesus' day. Because clearly, if you couldn't ring up your friends, you couldn't WhatsApp them, you couldn't even send them something through the post because none of those avenues were open to you. So the way it worked was this. You sent round a servant to visit those you wanted to come to the party. And they sounded them out. And they said, will you be free to come on such and such a day? And they, you gave a response, yes or no. And then on the day of the party, you got the feast ready. And when it was ready, you sent down the servants all over again. And they visited the people who said they could come. And they say, come on in. Grub's up. We're ready for you. Now's the time to turn up. But that's not what happens in Jesus' story, is it? Far from it. Every person that the servant revisits comes up with an insulting reason why they will not be coming to the party. And it's clear in the way Jesus tells this story that there's been collusion on the part of those guests. And it's also clear that they're not just saying they won't come, they're being deliberately rude in the way they say they won't come. And each excuse is more lame than the previous excuse and more rude. So the first one uh, says, uh, I'm afraid I can't come because I've just bought a field and I've got to go and see it. Well, in Jesus' day, everyone who heard that would have known that was nonsense. 
because you went and inspected your field before you bought it. You wanted to see what the soil was like. Was it fertile? Was it in the sun? Was it in the shade? Was it worth the money you were about to pay? That's when you looked at it. So this is a nonsense excuse. So sort of on the level of, sorry, I haven't got my homework, the dog ate it in the hall. You know, everyone knows you know, that's just crummy. And then the next excuse, just the same. I can't come, I've acquired a new set of oxen and I can't wait to try them out. And you notice that in the response, there's nothing about, I'm so sorry to let you down, I'd love to have come another night, forgive me. It, it's just brazen. But worst of all, and crudest of all, is the third excuse, which literally translated means, I've just got a wife and I'm trying her out. Can't come, won't come. Now the issuer of these invitations clearly parallels Jesus. And he is highlighting to his hearers the insults that come his way as they reject him. And what's his response? Well, I think we would call it in this story amazing grace, really. Because his immediate response is to widen the invitation. In verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And interpreters equate this group with the powerless people of Israel. But the story goes on because they say to Jesus, well, we've done that and actually there's still room. And then the shocker in verse 23, well, go out to the highways and the byways and fill my house up with Gentiles, with people you never expected to be at the great feast. People so often thought of as outsiders beyond the pale. And the real kicker is what Jesus says next, and leave out in the cold those who spurned my invitation. Verse 24, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So, is Jesus more challenging and comforting or more comforting and challenging? And I think that depends on who you are that's listening. It leaves us in no doubt, does it, that Jesus can be a stern teacher when the occasion demands it. Not for him, any pussyfooting around the subject here. No diplomatic swerves to avoid confrontation. Be careful how you handle Jesus' invitations, because it really matters, and a personal response is needed. It may look like it's come from a carpenter. In one sense, it has. But it's also come from the king of kings, don't assume that you'll be at the great banquet just because of your race or your social standing seems to be what Jesus is saying. The heavenly banquet will be full of surprise guests. Well, Luke moves the focus of what he's got to say on from there. And in verse 25, we've now moved on to a different setting, really. And Jesus is followed by a very large crowd. And it's so interesting that oftentimes Jesus gets uncomfortable when followed by super large crowds. 
it, it's almost that we can read Jesus' mind and think these people don't know what they're letting themselves in for when they're following me. And so what he does is he ratchets up the cost of following him so that those around him are in no doubt what the conditions of service are. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Oh my goodness, what is Jesus saying here? Well, I don't believe he's saying quite literally, hate your father and mother, but I think what he's saying in the thrust of what he says is very, very clear. I take precedence over all these relationships. I have to be preeminent and master of your life. And it's a condition of his. Actually, you've got to be prepared, if necessary, to lose all those things, including your life. A condition of following me, he says, is absolute surrender. And he says that many, many times not just in this reading. Let anyone who wants to follow me, let him deny himself and follow me. And now he tells two stories which play out the reasoning and the thinking for us. And they're instructive, especially if we hold these two stories together. The tower which became a folly and the king who was good at calculus. So the first, the story of the tower builder who finds out some way into the project that his resources have run out and he's left with just a hole in the ground. And Jesus says, how, how ridiculous is that? If you embark on a big building and you have to stop prematurely, everyone's going to ridicule you. I found myself thinking about HS2 at this point, which I wasn't sure was helpful, but you know, one can see it on the cards. There are those, there are those who embark on following Jesus, but don't seem to have done the thinking first. Following Jesus is very rewarding, but it's extremely costly too. And here he lays bare the cost. You always feel, if you're following Jesus faithfully, that you're trying to go up the down escalator possibly wearing roller skates. It's always going to be a challenge. If you let God choose the direction of your life, and if you make pleasing him the aim of your life, you are going to be part of a minority group. You're going to leave the crowd behind. Jesus says this over and over. There is a price to following Jesus. What I see in my Bible is a way stretching ahead forward that is full of challenge and demanding and difficult times, but also the promises of God's company, his Holy Spirit's help, the support of fellow believers, and an ultimate reward that is literally out of his wealth. But it's a day by day by day, step by step journey of trust. Costly but rewarding. So think first, says Jesus, so you don't find yourself in a hole. There is a cost to following him, 
But the next story about the king who did the calculus tells us something a little different. There is a cost to not following Jesus too. And the story, it, it, it just makes plain sense. If you see an army coming your way, don't attack that army until you know you can overpower it. If you know that that army can outgun you, you do well to make peace with it while it's a long way off. And the thing about King Jesus is every knee will actually bow before him one day. Every tongue will actually confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the king you really do not want to go into battle against. Unconditional surrender is the price of peace. And we're told in scripture that God reaches out to those who are far off and God reaches out to those who are near. But it will be peace on his terms. And in the reading, Luke says in verse 33, those of you who don't give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's interesting that Jesus goes on to say before he rounds off, he says, that the key is to be salt in a tasteless society. But if, a, if salt loses its savor or its flavor, then it's useless. And Christians who decide to put on camouflage rather than fluorescence are useless. But as we know, standing out is difficult. As I reflected on this, on Jesus' stories, actually, I thought how embarrassing it is that we sell out so cheaply. Not when we're facing huge opposition. We, we can just get distracted and bought out so fast. And for me, it was illustrated many years ago now when I was staying with um, my wife's parents, my in-laws, and um, my father-in-law was a clergyman, and he was preaching one day in a North Norfolk church, and I accompanied him um, just for the fun of it. He was a lovely man, and I went with him to this little village church in North Norfolk. And the service began, and there were just three people in the church. It was really a paltry congregation, embarrassingly small. And at the end of the service, the person at the door might have been a church warden, I don't know. He sort of was covered with embarrassment and said to my father-in-law, oh, Michael, I'm so sorry. So sorry there are only three people here, but see, the thing is, the sun's out. There's a really nice wind, and it's a fantastic day for sailing. And because my father-in-law was a lovely, non-confrontational, kind man, he, he just kind of grinned politely and shook it by hand and went out. But I went out pretty enraged, really thinking that's pathetic that our allegiance to Jesus is so small that a bit of sun in the sky and a good day for sailing means hmm, I'm afraid denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus is going to have a lot more costly a price tag than just giving up sailing from time to time. And, and here's, here's a secret that people often don't get 
it's much easier to follow Jesus with all your heart than with half your heart. That's really why at the end of his story, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's much more fun to be completely in the boat than half in, half out. If you're half in and half out, if you're a fair-weather friend of Jesus, you'll neither enjoy the world nor the company of God's Son. He's been so straight with us. He said, look, if anyone wants to follow me, you can. You can come as close to God as you like through the cross, but you're going to have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, and we can have a great time together. But answer my invitation. And let's be clear about it. I'm crystal clear, says the Lord, what I'm demanding of you. How are you going to respond? I love the verse in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord rage throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It doesn't say the eyes of the Lord rage throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are half-baked. He knows, he knows who's fully committed. And I want to tell you with all my heart, when you seek the Lord with everything you've got, when you've determined to say, yes, Lord, you will love the Christian life. You will find freedom. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find that God has made you for a purpose and you're walking in his ways. I'm going to close by reading out uh, a testimony that was found stuck on the wall of a house in Africa. Actually, the origins of this uh, writing are somewhat disputed, but they are authentic. We're just not quite sure where they come from exactly. Let me read it. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed, and I have Holy Spirit power. The die's been cast, and I've stepped over the line. The decision's been made. I'm a disciple of his. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, and I'm uplifted by prayer. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, and my companions are few but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I won't flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, or negotiate at the table of the enemy. I won't pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. And I must go on till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me, because my banner will be clear. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and the clarity of his invitations and sometimes we need to be shaken up, Lord. And I guess that that's why he spoke so bluntly to the crowd that day. 
not to offend them, but to tell them the truth, to tell them with clarity the consequences of decisions they were making. And we thank you, Lord, for the invitation to your great banquet. And though the price of admission is high, you paid the ultimate price first. And we say to you, Lord, as a family, your family, we want to follow you faithfully. We want to stand out as ambassadors for you, Lord Jesus. So come and empower us by your Holy Spirit and set us back on track with you, we pray in your name.